0: Chapter One of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Keith Salas, Clare, Illinois. Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. Chapter One The Head of the Family. The Little Village of Beckley. Lies or rather lay many years ago in the quiet embrace of old Stowe Wood, well known to every Oxford man who loves the horn or fusil. This wood or forest, now broken up into many straggling copses, spread in the olden time across the main breadth of the highland to the north of Headington between the valley of Cherwell and the bogs of Otmore. Beckley itself, though once approached by the Roman road from Alchester, must for many a century have nursed its rural quietude withdrawn as it was from the stage wagon track of high wycombe to chipping norton through wheatley islip and bletchington and lying in a tangle of narrow lanes leading only to one another so beckley took that cheerful view of life which enabled the fox to disdain the blandishments of the vintage and prided itself on its happy seclusion and untutored honesty but as all sons of adam must have something or other to say to the rest and especially to his daughters this little village carried on some commerce with the outer world and it did so through a carrier the name of this excellent man was cripps and the carrier's mantle or woolsey coat had descended on this particular cripps from many generations all the cripps family had a habit of adding largely to their number in every generation In this they resembled most other families which have to fight the world and therefore recruit their forces zealously but in one great point they were very distinct they agreed among one another and ever since roads were made or rather lanes began trying to make themselves one great tradition had confirmed the dynasty of krypsus this was that the eldest son should take the carrying business the second son upon first avoidance should have the baker's shop in oxford over against the old Balliol college the third should have the queer old swine farm on the heart of stowe forest the fourth should be the butcher of beckley and the fifth its shoemaker if ever it pleased the lord to proceed with the masculine fork of the family as had happened several times the sixth boy and the rest were expected to start on their travels when big enough as for the girls the carrier being the head of the family and holding the house and the stable and cart was bound to take the maids one by one to and fro under his tilt twice a week till the public fell in love with him now so many things came cross and across the countless ins and outs of life that even the laws of the crippses failed sometimes in some jot or tittle still they stuck and strong cause was needed ere they could be departed from Of course the side-shoots of the family—shoemakers, sons, and so on—were not to be bound by this great code, however ambitious to be so. To deal with such rovers is not our duty. Our privilege is to trace the strict succession of the Cripsus, the deeds of the carrier now on the throne of his second-best brother, the baker with a little side-peep at the man on the farm, and a shy desire to be very delicate to the last unmarried female. The present head of the family, Zachary Cripps, the Beckley Carrier, under the laws of time, which are even stricter than the Cripps's code, was crossing the ridge of manhood towards the western side of Forty, without providing the due successor to the ancestral driving board. Public opinion was already beginning to exclaim at him, and the man who kept the Chandler's shop with a large small family to maintain was threatening to make the most of this, and set up his own eldest son on the road. So Dot and Carry One was all he knew about the business. Zachary was not a likely man to be at all upset by this, but rather one of a tarrying order, as his name might indicate. Truly intelligent families living round about the city of Oxford had, and even to this day have, a habit of naming their male babies after the books of the Bible, in just their canonical sequence, while infants of the better sex are baptized in the Apocrypha, or even the Epistles so that zachary should have been genesis only his father had suffered such pangs of mind at being cut down by the ever-strengthening curtness of british diction into jenny Cripps, that he laid his thumb to the new testament when the first man-child was born to him and finding a father in like case quite relieved of responsibility took it for a good sign and applied his name triumphantly but though the eldest born was thus transformed into the new testament the second son reverted to the proper dispensation and the one who went into the baker's shop was exodus as he ought to be the children of the former exodus were turned out testamentarily save those who were needed to carry the bread out till their cousins boys should be big enough all of these doings were right enough and everybody approved of them leviticus cripps was the lord of the swine and numbers bore the cleaver while deuteronomy stuck to his last when the public-house could spare him there was only one more brother of the dominant generation whose name was Pentachuk, for thus they pronounced the collective eponym and he had been compendiously kicked abroad to seek his own fortune right early but as for the daughters who took their names from the best women of the apocrypha and sat up successively under the tilt until they were disposed of FOR THE MOMENT IT IS ENOUGH TO SAY THAT ALL EXCEPT ONE WERE NOW FORTH AND SETTLED. SOME MARRIED FARMERS, SOME MARRIED TRADESMEN, ONE TOOK A MILLER'S ELDEST SON, ONE HAD A GENTLEMAN MORE OR LESS, BUT ALL WITH EXPECTATIONS, ONLY THE YOUNGEST WAS STILL IN THE TILT, A VERY PRETTY GIRL CALLED ESTHER. All Beckley declared that Esther's heart had been touched by a college lad who came some five years since to lodge with Zachary for the long vacation, and was waited on by this young girl, supposed to be then unripe for dreaming of the tender sentiment. That a girl of only fifteen summers should allow her thoughts to stray, contrary to all common sense and her duty to her betters, for no other reason, to anybody's knowledge, than that a young man ate and drank with less noise than the Cripses, and went on about the moonlight and the stars and the rubbishy things in the hedges, that a child like that should know no better than to mix what a gentleman said with his inner meaning. Put it right or left, it showed that something was amiss with her. However, the women would say no more until it was pulled out of them. To mix or meddle with the Cripses was like putting one's fingers into a steel trap. With female opinion in its condition, and eager to catch at anything, Mrs. Exodus Cripps in Oxford was confined rather suddenly. She had needed a batch of two sacks of flour to put it to rise for the morning, and her husband, who should not have let her do it, was smoking a pipe and exciting her. Nevertheless, it would not have harmed her, as both the doctor and the midwife said, if only she had kept herself from arguing while about it. But, somehow or other, her husband said a thing she could not agree with, and the strength of her reason went the other way, and it served him right that he had to rush off in his slippers to the night-bell. On the next day, although things were quite brought round, and the world was richer by the addition of another rational animal, Mr. Exodus sent up the crumpet-boy all the way from Broad Street and Oxford to Beckley to beg and implore Miss Esther Cripps to come down and attend to the caudal. And the crumpet boy, being short of breath, became so full of power that the carrier scarcely knew what to do in the teeth of so urgent a message, for he had made quite a pet of his youngest sister, and the twenty years of age betwixt them stopped the gap of rivalry. It was getting quite late in the afternoon when the crumpet boy knocked at the carrier's door, because he had met upon Magdalen Bridge— a boy who owed him twopence and eager as he was to fulfil his duty a sense of justice to himself compelled him to do his best to get it his knowledge of the world had increased by the failure of his utopian vision for the other boy offered to toss him doubler quits and having no specie borrowed poor crumpy's last penny to do it then being defeated in the issue he cast the young baker's cap over the bridge and made off at fine speed with his coin of the realm what other thing could crumpy do than attempt to outvie his activity in a word he chased him as far as carfax with well-winged feet and sad labour of lungs but mercury laughed at estra and crumpy had a very distant view of fivepence recording a highly vindictive vow he scratched his bare head and set forth again being further from beckley than at his first start it certainly was an unlucky thing that the day of the week should be tuesday tuesday the nineteenth of december eighteen thirty seven for zachary always had to make his rounds on a wednesday and a saturday and if he were to drive his poor old dobbin into oxford on a tuesday evening how could he get through his business to-morrow for dobbin insisted on a day in stable when he had been in oxford he was full of the air of the laziest place and perhaps the most delightful in the world He despised all the horses of low agriculture, after that inspiration, and he sighed out sweet grunts at the color of his straw, instead of getting up the next morning. Zachary Cripps was a thoughtful man, as well as a very kind-hearted one. In the crown of his hat he always carried a monthly calendar gummed on cardboard, and opposite almost every day he had dots, or round O's, or crosses. Each of those to his very steady mind meant something not to be neglected, and being, as time went, a pretty fair scholar, ere school boards destroyed true scholarship, with the help of his horse he could make out nearly every place he had to call at. So now he looked at the crumpet boy to receive and absorb his excitement, and then he turned to young Esther and let her speak first as she always liked to do please to go back quite as fast as you can said esther to the crumpy and say that i shall be there before you or at any rate as soon as you are and crumpy there ought to be something for you dear zack have you got a twopence not i said the carrier and if i had it would do him a deal more harm than good run away down the hill my lad you come to me at the golden cross perhaps as soon as saturday and i'll look at my bag for a halfpenny run away boy run away or the bogies will be after you End of chapter one